0: Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description to see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode. You can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com to contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics. Email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today we are mixing it up by talking about a horror movie in January. I am going to talk about the movie Barbarian. I just watched it, like, last week, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was one of the more unique horror films that I've seen in a while, and I thought that it was incredibly well done. So before I jump in any further, I do just want to say big, big spoilers ahead. So be forewarned if you want to see the movie uh, and haven't seen it yet, pause this episode, go watch it, and then come back. Um, There are some twists in it that you may not see coming, so just giving you that big spoiler warning here. Um, and then in terms of content warning, there is some discussion of sexual assault, so just a heads up that that will be coming up later on in the episode as well. The plot of the film follows Tess, who is going to Detroit for an interview and booked an Airbnb to stay in before the night before her interview. When she knocks on the door, She re- or goes to unlock the door. She realizes her Airbnb has been double-booked, and there is a man named Keith already staying inside the home. And after some debate, they decide to both stay there for the night. Uh, Keith gives her the bedroom, he takes the couch, and they, they agree to stay together. So for the first, like, half an hour, you think it's going to be a story of her being murdered by this man <laughs> because it's an incredibly sketchy situation and there are like a few red flags that Keith has that make him seem like maybe he's not super safe. He's also played by Bill Skarsgård and if you are um, a horror fan anytime you see Bill Skarsgård in a movie you know he's like gonna be a bad guy. So it's like (laughs) it's not a good sign that he's there. Um, But she survives the night. She goes to her interview and she realizes that the house she's staying in because she had gotten there in the middle of the night during the, a rainstorm, the neighborhood is not good. It's almost completely abandoned, although the houses are in disrepair. She's warned by a homeless man in the neighborhood and the person she interviews with that the neighborhood she's staying in is dangerous, but she returns to the Airbnb after her interview ends up getting locked in the basement and finding a sub room in the basement with a bed and a camera. She freaks out. When Keith comes back, he goes down there to see it, ends up finding another tunnel, and this is where the movie kicks off. Um, There is a creature known as the mother living in the tunnels of this basement, and she quickly kills Keith and then appears to keep Tess um, as, like, a prisoner under the house we then get introduced to a character named aj who's played by justin long and he is actually the owner of the home and he's in a little bit of hot water because he has been accused of raping his co-star in the tv show that he works on this is later confirmed to be true when he tells a friend that he pressured her into having sex with him even though she kept saying no um, he is going to the home because he needs to sell it to make some money because once the allegations come out, he's kicked off of basically all of his shows and has no more money coming in. Um, he ends up finding the hidden tunnel and then gets trapped under there with the mother as well. And Tess tries to save him. She ends up getting him out uh, and they flee from the mother. AJ in he... a... <laughs> to-be-expected turn of events, um, tries to use Tess as basically a human shield as the mother chases them throughout the neighborhood um, and ends up not dying because the mother saves her and then gouges out AJ's eyes as revenge for him attacking her baby, Um, but then Tess kills the mother at the end and limps away to the final credits. And the explanation for the mother character is that the man who owned the house in the 50s was some sort of like serial rapist and serial killer and he would imprison women underneath the house and impregnate them Um, and then he sold the house but continued to live under the tunnels and he would essentially sexually abuse the children he had fathered with his victims and created this kind of like incest line of children and offspring that resulted in the mother who is basically is a woman like appears to be a human woman but she's like very grotesque and deformed her teeth are all jacked up she doesn't wear any clothes and she you know basically lives in this tunnel and tries to take care of the people that she then captures and brings into her tunnel so that is, in a nutshell, the the film. Um, there are a couple of themes that I want to talk about with this film. Um, I think the the themes that are kind of the most prevalent are the themes about gender and gender relations and the way that... People of different genders interact with each other. Now, to be fair, this film does kind of only address like a man, woman, binary. So again, I'm gonna if I'm using that kind of language, that more binary language, it's because that's kind of what the film has has set it up to be. So um, the first difference about between men and women in this film, and this is even something that's like explicitly talked about, is the way that women and men approach safety. And I actually found an article called The Gender Safety Gap Examining the Impact of Victimization History, Perceived Risk and Personal Control by Logan and Walker in the Journal of Interpersonal Violence. And they had some interesting conclusions from their study that I thought kind of mapped onto Barbarian and I wanted to talk about it. So these authors did a study where they measured how men and women feel about their personal safety, the kind of measures that they take, um, and how they they go about like safety planning or perceiving if they are at risk for things. And they found a couple of things. One that they thing that they found is that for women, things that were associated with being more worried about one's safety was two aspects, either a higher perceived risk of victimization of a violent crime and safety efficacy or the feeling of having control over keeping oneself safe. So the first aspect about perceived risk of victimization um, is that this study actually found that men and women don't differ that much in how much they fear being victimized of certain types of crimes, and I thought that this was interesting because traditionally the assumption is, and, and Logan and Walker address this. Traditionally, the assumption is is that men are more, men are less afraid of sexual assault or other types of sexual like victimization than women are. But this study that Logan and Walker did found that women and men fear sexual assault and murder at the same rates in terms of home invasion scenarios. So when asked if someone was breaking into your home, what are you afraid is going to happen to you? Men and women answer the same, that they fear sexual assault and murder at the same rate. And in general, women fear physical harm more than they do just fearing sexual assault so this assumption that we have that like the biggest fear a woman has is being a sexual is being sexually assaulted is maybe not as true and it may not be like just distinctly a woman's problem barbarian is an interesting aspect because it's almost like a home invasion from within <laughs> what if your home was being invaded from within the home because the the like mother creature lives in the tunnels under the basement Um, And so I think that there is opportunities where we see that both Tess and either Keith or AJ are just as afraid of the mother. And in fact, there is a scene where AJ, because it's not just the mother who lives down in the tunnels, it's also the man who had kept her um, her and her mother's (laughs) um, hostage. That man is also down in the tunnels. And AJ finds him at one point in the film when he's trying to run away from the mother and he realizes that the man has all these films or these VHS tapes with different labels on them. And the labels are, they refer to the different victims that he's kept and recorded. And he's like, he has these videos that he watches over and over again of him perpetrating these crimes and these sex crimes against women. Um, And AJ is like disgusted by that and you can tell that he's trying to separate himself from that he's not the same his sexual assault was not the same as what this man does because it's so much more worse so he you know he he's rationalizing the decisions that he's made but in that in that whole world of the film barbarian there is not any explicit fear from Tess that she's going to be sexually assaulted her fear is her, for her physical safety in general, just like Keith and AJ fear for their physical safety. So I thought that it was interesting that Logan and Walker found that in their article, and we see that in Barbarian as well, that it's, it's more this general fear for safety that's going on with all of the characters in the film, regardless of their gender. The second aspect that's associated with worry about safety is safety efficacy, or like I said before, personal control over threatening situations. Logan and Walker found that women tend to report having lower levels of safety efficacy, so women don't feel as if they have personal control over their safety when in a threatening situation. They also noted that it's a little bit of a downward spiral because the higher your level of efficacy that you have, the more likely you are to be prepared or feel prepared not only to protect oneself, but also to intervene if bystanders are under threat. So the opposite is true as well. The lower levels of self-efficacy we have, the less likely we are to prepare. I do think Tessa, or Tess, is a little bit of an example of this, that her she she does not seem to be someone who feels like she has much control over her life, let alone her own safety. And this is actually set up very well from the beginning of the film. When she pulls up in front of the Airbnb, we see her getting a phone call from... What appears to be a man. And he's calling her over and over again. And she just keeps hanging up and ending the call. And then later she tells Keith that she's in this relationship with this man, the person who was calling her at the beginning of the film. And she keeps trying to leave. She knows it's not good for her, but she just can't. She just keeps getting pulled back in. So there's this sense that Tess doesn't have a bunch, of, a whole lot of efficacy over her own life. She feels like she has to help everyone around her and kind of make everything easy for the people around her rather than attending to her own needs. This is also mirrored later in the film, where when Keith goes down into the tunnel, she goes to rescue him, even though it's like, you've known this man for less than 24 hours. If you find a scary tunnel under your Airbnb, you call the cops and you leave. (laughs) And then she does the same thing for AJ. Once, because they do encounter each other under the tunnel, she's able to escape and, um, is getting assistance from the homeless man who tried to warn her before. And she says, we have to go back to save him. And the homeless man is like, "Uh-uh, girl, <laughs> you don't know that man. It doesn't matter. You like, you got to get out of here. But she keeps getting pulled back in and rather than taking control over her own life, ends up doing what makes everybody else around her feel better. It is an extreme example because it's rescuing someone from like an incest monster, but I think it is a very interesting metaphor um, for how Tess is not able to kind of have this efficacy over her own life. Another thing that Logan and Walker found in their study is that being recently victimized or a recent victim of a crime um, played a larger role in safety responses for women rather than a history of being a victim of crime. They found that women who had been attacked in some way, either verbally, interpersonally, so in a relationship, or physically in the last year were more likely to carry safety devices, but not women who had had a history of victimization, but it was longer than a year ago. So being more recently a victim of a crime or experiencing some type of violence within the last year might make women more likely to do something like carry a mace with them or ask someone to help them, escort them from their car when they get to a new place. And Logan and Walker speculate that this might have to do with like the recency effect, that it's like this this happened to me more recently. And the farther we get from the history of the, the victimization, the less of an impact it seems to have on the way that people think about safety. Um, so I think it's fair to conclude that Tess didn't have wasn't recently victimized by something violent she does appear to be in like a not great romantic relationship um but she is willing to like kind of put aside some of her safety responses in order to go along um with what's going on in the film now she was (laughs) she does have like a very immediate she is being held captive by the mother escapes then goes right back in so maybe she needed a little more time for that to settle in for her to realize i don't need to go back in to save aj and i can maybe i don't know leave this in someone else's hands but another thing that i find interesting about this finding from logan and walker is that i think we have an assumption that Anytime you've been victimized by a crime, it's going to impact the way that you feel about the world for the rest of your life. And Logan and Walker found in this study that that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. Now, more recently, it does impact your behavior. um, But having a a history of victimization may mean that someone is able to um, like recover or move on from it. And then lastly, the finding that Logan and Walker had that I found interesting was um, they, they looked at what safety and safety planning looks like between the genders and looked at what was different and what was the same. And so they found that women tend to be more worried about their safety than men. They tend to report more harassment or victimization histories than men do. They experience an increased risk or perceived risk of all the types of threats that were measured in the study than men do, and they have a lower safety efficacy than men appear to do. However, they do ask for help, do more safety planning, and take more safety precautions than compared to men. So women feel more afraid, but they do appear to do more safety planning than men do. However, the areas where there were no differences between men and women were safety practice, so putting things into place that made them more safe, avoidance behavior so running away from things or avoiding places where they felt unsafe and carrying safety device so things like mace the what are those like key knuckle things <laughs> you can get um, and men and women were more likely are have the same rate of doing bystander interventions or intending to do bystander interventions so i do think that it is that's interesting to see and i think that like tess and keith kind of have the same level of wanting to help out other people. Like Keith wants to help out Tess when she has no place to go for the night. He also wants to help her out by looking at the basement for her when she is freaking out after telling him there's a room down there. And same with Tess. She wants to go look for him when he doesn't come back and she wants to help AJ when she realizes that he's in there. So in terms of like helping others... They seem to be the same. AJ represents, I think, then what would be an outlier in this study where um, Tess wants to help him and he really does not care about helping Tess. He very actively does not um, appear. He doesn't want to help her at all. And in fact, like uses her as a human shield to try to survive longer than her when they're in the kind of final confrontation with the monster. So yeah, I thought that that article was interesting, and it maps on to kind of this theme about safety and how maybe men and women approach it differently. There's even a conversation in the film that Keith and Tess have up at the front, where they are talking about if the roles will reverse. And Tess was the one who had had, who had gotten to the Airbnb first, and Keith showed up saying that he, uh, you know, had double booked it. They talk about how that might be perceived differently, and Tess takes the approach of you know, men kind of think that they're entitled to everything. So Keith, she thinks Keith would have just like strode on in and said, it doesn't matter. Like I booked this, this house, so I'm going to stay here. Whereas Keith takes the perspective of, um, you know, if you were a woman alone, you would never have let me in. And like, that would have been the right thing to do. Um, but like acknowledge that there's like a double standard there and that, you know, I, I let you in even though you, you wouldn't have let me in if the shoe was on the other foot. so I, And I just think that that speaks to what the article found, that women maybe are, are more likely to perceive risk around them. And I don't think that that's for no reason. I think that women are exposed to certain types of risk that make them think about these or perceive these types of dangerous things. The frustrating thing in the film is that Tess doesn't seem to be picking up on some of the things that are a red flag the things that made me think that keith was gonna be the bad guy there is a scene where she comes out of the bathroom and he's like sitting at the table staring at her and he keeps trying to offer her drinks she does refuse to drink the tea that he made for her but he offers her alcohol they do end up drinking together and like everything is fine and it seems fun and they're, like, playing around making the bed. But I don't know if it's, like, the way that the movie is scored or the way that the director, like, filmed it, but there's just this, like, eerie sense of, like, something's going to go wrong. And Bill Skarsgård plays this so well because he has this, like, blank kind of look (laughs) that he gives where it's, like, he seems to be very intently staring at her and you like don't know what's going to happen next until the tension breaks when they finally do like have a glass of wine together Um, and then Tessa wakes up in the middle of the night with her door open and Keith is like having a dream where he's like talking to himself out loud and it seems like he was the one who opened her door because at this point we don't know that there's something else in the house with them so it just it does get set up he also has like a weird reaction when she's um, telling him about the room with the camera, and he tells her oh, it's not a big deal. And so you kind of think maybe he set up the room and the camera, and he's like, he shows up these Airbnbs to like trap women. You like just don't know. Now, I would be interested in knowing if there are any men listening who have seen the movie, if you perceived Keith to be a danger in the beginning, right? Maybe that is even a difference in the audience that I, as a woman, perceive Keith to be dangerous or for Tess to be in dangerous situations, because I'm more likely to perceive increased risk from these types of threats that ended up Keith not even being a threat. Another theme that I thought was interesting that this film addresses is um, people not changing who they are. (laughs) Uh, Justin Long's character, or AJ, is, I think, the epitome of this, although there is some... there's some hint of this with Tess that she... She has all these chances to take care of herself and not get sucked in, caretaking in a man. And she, like, just can't do it, right? We get three chances for her in the film. She can't leave her boyfriend. She can't leave Keith behind. She can't leave AJ behind. And it's not until the very last scene of the movie where she limps off into the sunset that we finally get, like, maybe she learned her lesson. Maybe she's going to look out for Tess, number one. But for the most of the movie, she stays, like, unchanged. So there's a little bit of that to her. AJ is i think the more clear description of this that people aren't able to change like their true nature. For we see for most of the film especially after i mean the first within the first 30 seconds of meeting AJ we learn that he's been ac- accused and pretty credibly accused of rape by his co-star and we see him immediately jump into rationalization mode. This is not fair, I need a lawyer, she's lying. I can sort this all out. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like he jumps into kind of all of that stuff, and what I do like in the film is that everyone around him, like his manager, his financial advisor, they all kind of take this approach of like, this is pretty bad, dude. Like this, this is screwed up, and we do think that you did it. And they kind of are trying to hold him accountable. And even his his financial advisor like quits because he says, I can't, I can't work with you. I can't like I can't support or you and what you seem to have done. Um, So for most of the film, AJ takes this perspective of, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's like trying to rationalize his behavior. There's one scene that we get before he gets trapped in the tunnels and it turns into like chaos fest. There's one scene where he goes out to a bar in Detroit, meets up with an old friend and the friend asks him what happened. And AJ describes it And what he is describing is it's rape. He talks about how she was saying no. He talks about how he worked hard to convince her. I believe he even references like getting her alcohol so that she was, you know, less inhibited. And it seems like it took many attempts, and he did coerce her into having sex. And this is the first time that we see AJ even remotely acknowledge that maybe something he did here was wrong. And after the scene at the bar, he ends up calling, he goes back to the house and he calls the woman and tells her that he's sorry. So there is this idea that like the rationalization is a facade that he's putting up on purpose, that when you strip away all that, when you make the, you know, someone's drunk and we're kind of at the the heart of who they are, um, he acknowledges in that in that space that he did something wrong. However, once he sobers up the next day, he's kind of like back to the same way he was. And it's not until after having the harrowing experience with the mother and seeing the creepy VHSs from Frank, the horrible man, and he gets out of the house with Tess. He has a really moment, a moment where he says, "I did something really bad, and I want to change. I want to." you know, I'm a good person who did a bad thing and I want to like do good things to make up for that. Basically he has this like little speech at the fire where they're waiting out the night um, to try to like escape almost immediately after saying that the mother finds them. They run up to the top of the water tower and AJ throws Tess off the water tower because he knows the mother will jump off of the water tower to protect her because she sees Tess as her baby within seconds of saying, I want to be better. I did a bad thing. He's doing this. And he then immediately starts to rationalize it. You hear him talking to himself. He says things like, she slipped. I had to do it. There was no other way. Um, it wasn't my fault. It was, it was, it wasn't even my fault. She was slipping anyway. She had been shot. She was going to fall. Oh, he also had shot her earlier too. So like double, not a good person. Um, but immediately jumps into the rationalization. So I think what the film is trying to highlight... And I don't I don't think it's trying to say that all people can't change... But I think the film is showing us that there are people who are so connected to their rationalization of their bad behavior... That they can't look around that or take a different perspective and understand how they've hurt people. Even though AJ had a moment of clarity where he understood that he hurt someone... It was mostly because he had shot Tess and she seemed like she was going to die because he had shot her there, he does have a brief moment of like, okay, maybe I do do some things wrong and I'm not like the perfect boy child that I think that I am. And I think what the film is showing us is that a character like AJ, who, you know, does have maybe some more narcissistic traits, does have an inflated sense of self, um, maybe has never had to take accountability for things in the past is not able to, like, self-police, right? Isn't able to self-say, oh, this is not a good thing. This is not something that I want to do. Um, I would argue that AJ's character doesn't have, like, an internal sense of a moral code or, like, values. Um, he's just kind of been living his life from pleasure to pleasure. And so when confronted in a situation where one has to choose something alongside their values, as in a giant incest monster is chasing you and your companion up a water tower, Tess, as we saw before, would have chosen to like stand and fight together or uh, come up with some sort of plan that like tries to save both of them, right? She wouldn't, her value is like protecting people, um, even if she doesn't know them very well. Whereas AJ's character, there is no like ethos, right? There's no like, this is how I organize my worldview. It's just what feels good to me he's like almost in pure survival mode, right? So what feels good to me? What's going to get me out of here so that I can keep feeling good (laughs) later on? And that is throwing a woman off of a water tower, which is like pretty intense, right? Like at the very least could have tried something else. I don't know. Or could have like both, (laughs) both died or just left left Tess up there, right? Left her at the top of the water tower, and he runs back downstairs, but he, no, he throws, literally throws her off the top of the water tower. The shout I let out when I saw that part of the film, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) he, he's unchangeable. (laughs) So yeah, and I don't, I don't really have, like, research to back this up. This isn't, like, an empirical point that I'm trying to make, but I, I do think that the, the, the film tells an interesting story here, and, you know, I'm sure we've all had that experience where we've met someone who just, like, is not, truly capable of taking accountability for their own actions and most likely because they haven't ever had to i think this can often be a kind of consequence of privilege of being protected and shielded from the bad things in the world and aj seems to for all intents and purposes have had like a perfect life where he's not had to deal with any of this stuff before so aj incapable of change even in a truly life-altering scenario, and at the end of the day, he got his karmic come up comeuppance. He got his eyes gouged out by the scary incest monster, so you win some, you lose some is all I'll say. <laughs> Um, And then lastly, just one thing that I noticed about the film is this idea of, like, the urban decay or the abandonment of poorer areas. The film is set in Detroit, which I do think is, like, a very intentional choice. Um, Detroit was hit very hard by the recession and the housing crisis. And oftentimes, you know, when you're watching, like, news segments where they're talking about poverty you know Detroit is like one of those places where like the (laughs) b-roll comes from right it's like I think that in the American consciousness Detroit is synonymous with like poverty and this like urban decay it's used very interestingly in the film because when the film starts it's raining and it's pitch black and Tess pulls up in front of the house where she's supposed to be staying and it's the only house that has lights on um, so when she's looking around the neighborhood and we're looking with her, the way that the neighborhood is in darkness, you can't tell what the other houses look like. And it's not until she wakes up and leaves the next day to go to her job interview that you realize that no one else lives in this neighborhood. It's very isolated. All of the houses are like gutted and rotting. The windows are busted out. Like, and the film takes you through this neighborhood and shows you many different examples of the this like utter decay. Um, and then, you know just like a fun dash of gentrification that their Airbnb is like the one repaired house. It's like painted. Um, it's not even like a house where somebody lives, but it's a house that somebody like is making money off of. It is AJ's investment property. Um, there's like a, there's a tone of exploitation there, right? That like AJ and people like him come in and buy these houses when they're gutted and the people, like everyday people who are living there can no longer afford to live there. They come in, buy these houses, and turn them into places or opportunities to profit. From a psychological perspective, I think showing the neighborhood like this or having the film be centered in this type of neighborhood does make it feel more isolating, even if Tess. Because at the beginning of the movie, you think that Tess is like trapped in an Airbnb with a strange man. So it's like even if she were to yell for help, is there, there there's not anyone around who could help her. And it and the way that they unveil it that you don't know the neighborhood is like that until the next day almost makes you have like this retroactive fear response of like, oh my gosh, it would have been even so much worse. What if Keith was the creep and did something horrible to her? like she she would have been trapped because there's nobody in this neighborhood um, to help her. They also use the neighborhood to um, make certain stimuli more frightening. So, for example, when Tess comes back from her job interview, as she's walking into the house, a man who appears to be homeless, he's disheveled, his clothes are, you know, dirty and full of holes, And he comes running up the street and he's screaming at her, don't go back in there, don't go back in there. And he runs up to her as she's unlocking the door and she like slams the door, locks it shut and calls the police to say, you know, this this man was here um, harassing me. This is very intentional by the film and it makes us kind of launch into our stereotypes or prejudices that we have about unhoused people and the assumption is oh this is like a gutted neighborhood there are like hoodlums living here he must be like a mentally ill or a drunk guy who's just you know squatting in these like abandoned homes he must be dangerous because of what he looks like in the setting that he's in however at toward the end of the film when Tess escapes from the mother um the first time before she goes back in to try to get AJ the the, home, the same homeless guy is there. His name is Andre, and he's ready to help her. and he tells her like I tried to warn you. I tried to tell you not to go in there. And we realized that Andre was not the kind of crazy homeless guy that you would assume he is because the in, like the environmental cues. but he was someone who has been victimized by this monster and is trying to help prevent more people from being victimized right if we kind of go back to the beginning of the episode he's trying to do bystander interventions to keep people from being hunted by this creature and he gives us the information that she does come out of the house and at night she goes around and the assumption is that basically at night she goes around and um, tries to grab these homeless people and drag them back into her tunnels with her so the film really sets you up to make a lot of assumptions about these characters and i think what they do with andre is so interesting because It's very easy to make the assumption, oh, this is a bad neighborhood, it's a poor area, here's a man who looks like he's not doing well, Um, he must be crazy. And then that same assumption is then used against Tess later when she tries to get the police to help her to get AJ out of the house. She is disheveled, she is, like, beat up clearly filthy and she's been from the timeline we have the film she's probably been in there a little over two weeks so like she probably is not smelling so good and she sounds crazy because she's saying like there's a monster in the house and and uh there's like a whole underground like tunnel set up and a man is being held hostage there and the cops treat her like you're a crazy like drug addict right you're like a homeless drug addict she doesn't have any ID on her. She doesn't have anything on her that would like signify she's like a functioning member of society. So the same assumptions she has about Andre are then played against her when she needs help. And so although it's not the main point of the film, I do think it is a very interesting illustration of how powerful stereotypes are and how it's not just about um, like what the person looks like, but it's these environmental cues, right? The fact that this is happening in a decaying, abandoned neighborhood lends more credence to the stereotype than if it was happening in the middle of, like, a functioning, healthy suburban neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting way to use the environment to um, hone in on these themes um, and and highlight how intense these prejudices can be. Because if um, Tess didn't have these prejudices against Andre, maybe she would have gotten out of the house sooner and would have never have been assaulted by an incest monster. Um, But you know, no victim blaming. Should is a shame word. And I'm not going to say that Tess should have done anything different except for maybe leave her boyfriend at the beginning. So yeah, those are my thoughts on Barbarian. I do think that from a like psychological perspective, it plays with your emotions a lot. And there's a lot of um, misdirection and things that will mislead you. So it makes the overall film feel more unsettling because of the like music cues and the other, the environmental cues and the other things that they do to like throw you off the scent of what's happening. So even though, I don't know if it would like technically be categorized as a psychological thriller. It's more, I guess it's more of like a monster (laughs) horror (laughs) film. Um, I do think that it is very psychologically interesting and, and unsettling. And some of these themes are very interesting and I, and I like the way that horror films tell stories and I think that this one did one incredibly well and gives us a look at like how these characters psychology plays a role in what happens to them right Keith gets murdered immediately because he's kind of like this white knight I have to save people he goes too far into the tunnel and gets just immediately murdered by the monster Tess also has this kind of like savior, but at the expense of herself complex. And so she keeps throwing herself back into these tunnels to save these men that she has absolutely no allegiance to. And AJ is a self-absorbed Man, <laughs> I don't like there's no other way to say it. such a self absorbed man who cannot comprehend how his actions affect other people and is only focused on how they help him and keep him feeling good. So, overall, an incredible film. I highly recommend it um, if you want to watch it, even after having it spoiled for you. Um, yeah, so thank you as always for listening all the way through to the end, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye.